Hey everyone, today's episode is on Our Lady of Guadalupe. We open the episode with a story of Juan Diego and his encounters with this mysterious apparition. Then we get into some of the symbolism in the story. And then of course we discuss how we can incorporate Our Lady of Guadalupe into our spirituality. If you are looking for novena prayers for Our Lady of Guadalupe, currently for free, open to the public, open to the world, and it will be forever, on my Patreon, there are nine days of novena prayers to Our Lady of Guadalupe. I am writing these myself. And at the end of the nine days, I will be putting them in a PDF format for you to print and use. This is my gift to you for all of your love and support. And it's also my gift to the beautiful Our Lady of Guadalupe. So check that out. And I hope you enjoy this episode. And I hope I've done Our Lady of Guadalupe justice. God bless you and enjoy. The wind burned Juan Diego's face. Not only did his skin burn, but so did his spirit, and so did his mind. Was he going insane? He had been visited by a woman, or a goddess, or something. Multiple times he had seen her. She had identified herself as the mother of the true God, and insisted that Juan Diego help in spreading her devotion, namely by building a shrine in her honor. And Juan Diego was nothing but a poor native, looked down upon by most, but especially the Spanish who were taking over the land. Why would she come to me? Why can she not go to the bishop herself? After all, the whole world seemed to have been turned upside down by the arrival. Strange men, speaking a strange language, terrorizing and uprooting all that they knew and loved. And now, this... The stress of the invasions, the stress of change, the fear of what's to come, was all of this a delusion. Juan Diego's uncle was also sick, something he too told this mother of the true God about. And she insisted she would handle it, but first, he had to convince the bishop of the shrine. Juan Diego was almost trying to avoid her at this point. Each time he left to go to work or to get medicine for his uncle, he was terrified of being confronted by this insistent, heavenly being. And so there he was, walking into the village for more medicine for his dying uncle when the voice was heard again. And there she stood, dark skin like his, speaking the same language as he, wearing a cloak of stars and moons, glowing, pregnant, both physically, but her words and movements were also impregnated with something, something supernatural. Juan flustered, he said, look, I keep trying and the bishop, he doesn't believe a poor peasant like me and my uncle, you said you would heal him and he needs medicine, he needs help, I have to run your errands and my uncle's errands and am I not here, she said. Juan paused, stopped speaking. Am I not here? 
Am I not here, I who am your mother? The statement both startled and consoled Juan Diego. Go and pick a rose from the hill of Tepeyac and bring it to the bishop. Juan Diego wanted to tell her that it was the dead of winter. But did he need to tell this being anything? The snow was falling all around them. So he nodded, and he walked to the hill as the snow fell faster and faster. And at the top, where he knew for certain the shrubs and bushes had been dead all winter because he was just there the day before, instead he saw not a single rose, but hundreds sprouting up from the white blanket of snow. Aghast and in shock, he filled his tilma with roses, and as she demanded, he headed straight to the office of the bishop. Barging in, the bishop looked at Juan Diego with such annoyance because here he was again with more ramblings about this woman, this goddess, this maybe the Virgin Mary, we don't know. Juan began to speak about what the woman told him to do, but he was rambling so nervously. He wasn't sure he was making any sense. Finally, he opened his tilma, his cloak, and all the flowers fell to the floor. And a gasp was heard, and a silence was felt from the bishop and everyone in the room. For not only were these roses blooming in the wintertime, but now, imprinted on Juan's tilma was the image, the image of the woman, the image of the mother of God. And while the room was in dead silence, Juan Diego still heard the voice. Am I not here? I, who am your mother. To understand Guadalupe and St. Juan Diego, we must understand the time in which they were living. Juan Diego was a native in a time of extreme uncertainty. The Spanish were colonizing Mexico, they were taking over their land, and in some areas they were forcing them into Christianity. It was a time of terror, fear, turmoil. Guadalupe could have appeared as many things. She could have appeared as a Spaniard woman or even a beam of light, but no. She appeared as a woman of the same skin color as Juan Diego, speaking the same native dialect as he. She also could have appeared to the bishops, the monks, the clergy directly, very easily. They too could have just built the shrine, but no, she appeared to this poor, simple native because she wanted to let them know that she is not only the mother of the Spanish, but the mother of the natives too. And while some stories have her announcing herself as the mother of the true God, other translations actually have her saying this, I am the compassionate mother of you and of all you people here in this land and of the various people around the world who love me and who cry out to me. This message of crying out, it runs rampant through the story, but is especially powerful in this time of fear. And he went to seek a rose, expecting none, but instead he found hundreds. With this voice of hope in his ear, consoling him, I am here, I am here, not only consoling him, but almost annoyed that one would even doubt a mother's love. 
Am I not here? Am I not right in front of your face? You worry, you're fearful, but here I am. I am right here. And how often is that us? How often are we surrounded by God's mercy and the love of a mother, but we do not recognize it? Just like Juan Diego, we may even try to avoid it. We may try to take an alternate path because we don't feel worthy. We don't feel capable. We don't feel able to do the will of God or the will of the mother. So we run. We run and we hide. But like Psalm 139 says, if I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths of hell, you are there too. Where can I go to escape you? So even when we try to run like Juan Diego ran, she still appears. Because her mercy is everywhere. And when she appears, she consoles us. You can do this because I am here. I who am your mother. And how often are we told to go seek the rose, but we don't. Because we know so damn sure the rose isn't there. We're so jaded by the world jaded by sadness, jaded by trauma, that we don't seek the rose. Because why would there be roses there? But there are. The roses are there because the mother is there. And when we feel like we shouldn't even seek the roses, when we shouldn't even seek the will of God, remember, the message, am I not here? I who am your mother, and the mother's love knows no bounds, especially the mother of the entire world. This is another episode of St. Anthony's Tongue, and I'm your host, a man looking for a rose in the dead of winter, W. In 1531, what we now call Our Lady of Guadalupe appeared to the indigenous peasant Juan Diego in what is now Mexico City. The first vision took place on a hill called Tepeyac, and the woman who appeared said that she is the mother of the true God, and she requested that a chapel be built there on that hill in her honor. And there are a few sources that say slightly different greeting statements. And that appears to be the summary statement. And it's likely she did say something similar to being the mother of the true deity or true God. But that's not necessarily what she opened with. Other opening phrases are a bit more open-ended. Some of the earliest retellings of this story have her saying, I am the compassionate mother of you and all of you people here in this land and of the other various people who love me and who cry out to me. The woman looked like a native with skin similar to Juan Diego. Or, variants would say that she looked like a woman of mixed race, so European and indigenous. But the main thing is she did appear as a woman that looked more like Juan Diego than the bishops and the colonizers. She was young and she spoke the native Aztec dialect that Juan Diego also spoke. She was wearing a cloak with stars and moons and she was stepping on the head of a serpent. And she was also pregnant. 
And Juan Diego, of course, was moved by this vision, and he went to the archbishop to tell him we need to build this chapel for this apparition I just saw. And the archbishop did not believe the poor, simple peasant Juan Diego. In the same day, she appeared again, and she asked him to continue insisting to the bishop. The same day, he went back, and the bishop said, okay, well, tell her to give us a sign. And this is very common in Marian apparitions, as well as saintly miracles. You usually ask for some kind of sign. Fatima, the sun danced in the sky. Our Lady of Lords, a wellspring of water appeared. So he went to the hill again to talk to this woman, this apparition, and what she said that she would give a sign soon. And that Monday, so this all happened over a weekend, Juan Diego's ill uncle was on his deathbed, likely with smallpox. And rather than going to see this mysterious woman again, like she asked, instead he went to go find a priest that could administer last rites. He was ashamed, he was scared that he would run to her again. He did not want to confront her because his first priority was to get last rites for his dying uncle. Therefore, he took a different route to avoid the apparition. But of course, that did not work out too well for Juan Diego. The apparition intercepted him and lovingly chided him for avoiding her. She told Juan Diego to gather roses on the hill, the hill of Tepeyac, and bring them to the bishop. And then when he interjected about his uncle's death, she replied, am I not here? Am I not here, I who am your mother? In other words, trust me, I have you. I am your mother, the mother of the world. I got you. And he expected no roses. It was the dead of winter. It was snowing. And remember, he had been on that same hill the last three days talking to this apparition, and there were no roses. So, he, But he went anyway, and of course he was surprised to find that there were hundreds of roses. And it's also notable that these roses were not indigenous to that region at all. He brought the roses to the archbishop, stuffing them in his tilma, which is like a poncho of sorts. And then when he dropped them, the image of the woman was imprinted on the tilma. The bishop then agreed to build a shrine, and that night as well, she appeared to his uncle and cured him of smallpox. And the tilma is still hanging in Mexico City today in the basilica, which started as a shrine, now it's a major basilica, dedicated to Our Lady of Guadalupe. And ever since the apparition, so around the time it occurred, there have been miracles attributed to the tilma and to the shrine, to the basilica ever since. Up until this day, it is the most popular Christian religious pilgrimage site in the world and one of the most popular overall religious sites in the world. So who was this woman that appeared? Of course, the popular Catholic and Christian devotions showcase her as one of the most famous, if not the most famous, I would say, apparitions of the Virgin Mary. She appeared as a mixed woman or a native woman as a way to showcase a unification of the people, which seemed very purposeful. Her promise to Juan Diego included, I am truly your merciful mother, yours and all the people who live united in this land and of all other people of different ancestries, my lovers who love me, those who seek me, those who trust in me. Here I will hear their weeping, their complaints, and heal all of their sorrows, hardships, and suffering. So this is interesting. You have a lot of apparitions of Mary, and in more modern times, 
if you look at them. The apparitions are... I don't want to say threatening, but they're a little more intense. For instance, Fatima insisted that Russia be consecrated to her. And most all apparitions are pray the rosary every day. Um, you have the apparition in Rwanda of the Virgin Mary, which was very recent, that was in the 2000s, in which she said, pray the Our Lady of Sorrows chaplet. So you have most of the time in many apparitions, not Our Lady of Lourdes. I, I like that one, that one's a little different. In most apparitions, or many at least, you have promises. And you see that here. I promise to take care of you, hear your complaints, heal, heal your sorrows. But often it's, if you do this, if you pray this chaplet, this rosary, if you consecrate Russia uh, to, to me and my sacred heart, I'm immaculate heart. But here it's simply, call out my name, come to me, be with me. And I think it's really beautiful. And of course, there is likely a lot of syncretism that did occur here. For instance, there already had been a devotional site near Tepeyac or on Tepeyac Hill to an Aztec goddess named Tenantzin. And if you've heard different native names for Guadalupe, I'm going to get to that in a minute. So don't be thinking in your head, well, she is named X, Y, and Z. I'll get to that. And syncretism is often misunderstood or oversimplified. Sometimes syncretism is a purposeful legend. In other times, it's done on purpose to make a point. For instance, St. Lucy's Eve, where girls will dress up and go outside dressed as St. Lucy to scare off the demons of the equinox. That is a blatant overtaking of the wild hunt in which Odin would shine a light from his carriage to scare off the bad gods or the demons in which similar candle lighting rituals were done by pagans. Or you also have St. Nicholas and Krampus. Nick defeated this vile figure named Krampus, and now Krampus works for St. Nick. He's often depicted carrying around Krampus on a leash. This is a direct message that Catholicism overtook the pagan, the pagan Krampus lore. But something like this would be more so a purposeful characterization of an apparition. This would be a purposeful tweaking or taking a legend and making it Christianized, making it Catholic. So could this have been a purposeful legend created by Catholic bishops to convert the natives? Or was this a covert secret worship of a goddess by the natives to keep their tradition going in the face of colonization? Were they going and saying they were worshiping the Virgin Mary, but still worshiping the Aztec goddess? Well, it's a bit complex, but let's jump in. So there is some historicity of Guadalupe that we can discuss. For instance, we do have reports of the Juan Diego story from around the time it happened. This codex is kind of debated by historians, but we do have it around the time he appeared. And we also have other reports, and this includes local writers, religious clergy, and more who were active during the time that did say that this apparition occurred and there were reports from this Juan Diego character that it occurred. There was a feud in the church, though, between the Franciscans and the Dominicans. The archbishop who Diego went to, he was a Franciscan, but he was replaced by a Dominican later on. And the Franciscans were suspicious of Guadalupe from the jump. They even wrote letters saying that this was pure fiction and it centers around lore of a tilma that was painted quote-unquote yesterday. I love the sass even in these 14th century letters. And they said, this is a syncretic practice for natives to continue their worship of an Aztec goddess covertly. And they were upset too, and they pointed this out in the letters, 
because there are dozens and dozens of Marian shrines in the area, but the natives would do long pilgrimages just to go to this one. Now, the tilma itself was not painted yesterday, and the paint to this day still proves inconclusive for age testing. And many professionals do agree the materials used would not have been easy to find in that time period, if at all. And to make matters even more interesting, there are also early sermons in which the Catholic priest, they did use the name Tenantzin because it means our mother. Now, could this have been an intentional way of saying Mary is the same as this goddess? Or was it just a way to make the natives feel included by using the word that means our mother as a way to talk about Mary? Nonetheless, many of the Franciscans thought this was straight up syncretism and wanted it to stop. The Dominicans though, which this is surprising because if you're familiar with the Spanish Inquisition, they didn't like anything that wasn't textbook Catholicism. People were burnt at the stake. But the Dominicans, at least on their global missions, would actually sometimes, at least some of them, the Dominicans are a big order, they would let these things slide because it would ease people into Christianity. One of the largest objections to Juan Diego, Our Lady of Guadalupe apparition is also what's called the silence issues. Some modern scholars find issue with silence in the reports of many. For instance, the archbishop whom Juan Diego went to, he was a prolific writer. He had hundreds and hundreds of letters and also in his will. He had a very big will when he died. However, in none of his letters or in the will, there's any mention of the apparition, Juan Diego, or the shrine. And some of the priests as well. Uh, some of the priests in that parish also were prolific letter writers, but no mentions of Juan Diego. Now, there are some mentions by other people in the area, but you would expect the bishop to write about him. There is a probable answer here, though. And it's that it's a very simple one. Priests were being killed for promoting syncretistic worship in that area. Some were, again, burning at the stake. Very dark times. So it wouldn't be too crazy to think that the archbishop wanted to keep this a low profile because he was concerned about his safety and the safety of his parishioners. So in my opinion, did an apparition occur? I do think we have enough data to make the case that something certainly went on during that time. This was widely agreed upon by priests, natives, other writers. We have codexes and more that showcase there was something that did happen in that time frame. There was an individual named Juan Diego who saw something. But what about the syncretism? And there was no doubt syncretism, but I think jumping into that is a lot more complex of a situation. First, we can never really know what's truly in the heart of a devotee. Were they worshiping Mary? Were they worshiping an Aztec goddess? Did they think they were one and the same? Who knows? Similarly, who's to say they were praying to a mother figure? Full stop. That's it. If you remember, this was a crazy time and they just wanted that mother figure. And today, we look at veneration and devotion as a choose-your-team type game, but that's not what it was. And it was becoming that in this time period. But to many people, especially indigenous people, something like spirituality wasn't a choose-your-team type game because there wasn't very much teams. Instead, it was a means of 
spiritual and physical survival. I need a mother figure. Call her Mary, call her Our Lady of Guadalupe, call her La Virgin, call her Tonansen. I just need a mother figure right now in my life spiritually. You also have the name Guadalupe. So there already was a shrine in Spain called Our Lady of Guadalupe. And this name in this instance, it was taken from Juan Diego's uncle. And when he was dying, the apparition appeared and she gave him the name. And he said the name sounded like Guadalupe. But a lot of people think it was actually an Aztec name that meant the one who crushes the head of the snake, which that's always been a name for Mary. That's in the book of Revelation. However, some of the other ones, she who banishes those who ate us, she who comes flying from the region of light like a fiery eagle. So we can't pretend that this covert or hidden worship did take place and that it was to ensure their native goddess was protecting them, banishing those who ate us from the colonizers. Though I do largely feel as if the local priest, they did play into the local goddess angle. And while it tragically erased native worship, which is very awful and terrible, it was still depicted as a joining of two worlds. She appeared as a mixed woman. She appeared as a native. And the depictions were meant to have and showcase that the natives and the Spaniards, they could enter the same church at the same time as a means of comfortability. The local priest even used the goddesses' names and sermons to make them comfortable in praying there. And again, we have to look at, we never know what's in the heart of the devotee. You have various black Madonnas around the world, which were likely pagan goddess statues that were painted over to be and become Marian worship. And similarly, you likely had a mix of people that were praying to Our Lady of Guadalupe as an indigenous goddess. And then you probably had others who were praying because she was a mixture of the old and the new. And then you probably had some that just wanted to pray to a goddess-like figure. And I do not want to downplay the seriousness and the terrors that come with colonization when they wipe out indigenous beliefs. I don't at all. That's awful. And I am glad that we still have evidence of the pre-Guadalupe goddesses in the region. And I think today that is one reason why many people are attracted to Our Lady of Guadalupe. Because for some of them, there still are those aspects of the indigenous heritage that comes from their familial line and ancestry. So it's attractive to them. But going back to you never know what's in the heart of the devotee, and this happens with <laughs> appropriation and with you know the timeline of, of practices. But for me, I can attest to this as well. Because to me, I grew up with Our Lady of Guadalupe being Mary. My church that I grew up with has an actual shrine to Our Lady of Guadalupe with a rock from Mount Tepeyac with uh, the painting and the original one had minerals from the mountain as well. It had been blessed by both clergymen that used to work with the basilica as well as the local bishops, so on and so forth. So it's always funny when somebody comes to me and they say, hey, how can I venerate Our Lady of Guadalupe? That is appropriate and is respectful to Mexican culture. And while it's a very admirable question, I can't help but think it's 
a kind of strange question because to me, Mary has always been Our Lady of Guadalupe. That, that is the image of Mary that has been in my head since a child. When I hear the word Mary, I don't think of, you know, Our Lady of Lords Mary, which is kind of a unique Mary, by the way, who has, you know, the, the white or the blue veil. I don't think of the Mary that you see in a lot of nativity scenes. I've always envisioned Mary as a darker skinned younger woman with a cloak with the moon and the stars and the sun on it. So to me, Mary and Guadalupe have always been the same, but that's to me. If you have Mexican ancestry and if you want to reconnect with your heritage, or as some people say, you want to decolonize your spirituality, then Guadalupe might be a reminder spiritually of your people and where your people came from. And like I said, we never know what's in the heart of devotees. So. Those are all valid and they're all beautiful. And regardless if she is a true form of Mary, if she's a hidden goddess in disguise, or if it's another secret third thing, you cannot discount that she is one of the most popular faces of the Virgin Mary and she is venerated around the world. And I would even argue that the unique folk Catholicism, and I'm using that in the terminology meaning how different cultures display their Catholicism. I, th I, I think it's easy to say that the folk Catholicism in Latin America that centers around Guadalupe has had a tremendous impact on Marian worship globally, because this is one of the first apparitions, by and large, that had such a beautiful, loving message of healing, of comforting, of unity. That was not seen in many of the other apparitions up until that point. Mary would come and give St. Bridget of Sweden a seven sorrows prayer, or she would come to Lourdes was later, but come to Lourdes and, you know, give certain secrets and so on and so forth to Bernadette. But this was all about love and unity. And I think how the people in Latin America that revered this, I think that had an impact on Marian devotion worldwide, seeing her as truly a mother, truly as someone to cry to, to go to, to seek after, to be consoled by. And I think it's a very, very beautiful thing. So now let's talk about incorporating Our Lady of Guadalupe, which by the way, also called La Vargin, also called Morenita, various names for Guadalupe. I'm calling her Guadalupe out of habit. That's what I've always referred to her as. But let's talk about how to incorporate her into your spirituality. And I think this harkens back to my episode on the many titles of Mary when I talked about why and how there are so many different titles, faces, modes of Marian worship. You have the apparitions, Lords, Fatima, Guadalupe, you also have Our Lady of Sorrows, Our Lady of Good Help, Our Lady of Promsacor, so on and so forth. And if you have not listened to that ep episode yet, I recommend you do. But in that episode, I get into why. And it's because when we meditate on an aspect of the divine, it helps our mind, our intellect go into a special place. There's a lot more that I get into in that episode. But most of all, it's really simple. When I want to meditate on Mary and I'm feeling sad, I'm feeling sorrowful, I'm going to call upon Our Lady of Sorrows who will assist me in my sorrow or moreover, likely Our Lady of Perpetual Help. 
Um, or, you know, maybe I'm, I'm feeling numb. In that case, I'm going to pray to Our Lady of Sorrows to open up my heart or to open up the heart of someone else. When I'm feeling sick or someone else is sick, Our Lady of Good Health. When I need something fast, Our Lady of Prompts Succor, which I still think is one of the most underrated faces of Mary. So incorporating Guadalupe into your spirituality is quite similar because, again, like me, Guadalupe is Mary. So when you talk about rituals and incorporation, to me, it's just Mary. How can I incorporate Mary into my spirituality? So in that framework of the many titles of Mary, when I need to call out, when I need to cry out, like she said, she is here for everyone who cries out to her. When I need to be consoled because she said she is here to console, I am going to go to Our Lady of Guadalupe. And you can take that a step further. When I'm feeling overwhelmed, much like Juan Diego did, and I feel like I'm too busy for God, or I feel like I'm unworthy like Juan Diego did, I will call out to Guadalupe. As far as feast days go, our feast day is coming up. It is December 12th. And she is the patron of everyone. She's Mary, the world. But she does have special patronages. Like she said, when she appeared to Juan Diego, I am here for everyone in this land, old and new, and everyone around the world who calls out to me. So the Americas, Mexico, Guadalupe is the patroness. Similarly, anyone of those descents, anyone of American, talking about the continent descent, so North, South, Central, and anyone of Mexican descent, she would be your patron, one of many. Similarly, she is one of the only apparitions to have appeared as pregnant, and thus she is a patron of pregnant women, as Mary is in general, and of course mothers, one could also say immigrants. And she can be prayed to for just about anything, but typically it is for healing, as well as protection or healing, especially in childbirth, but also the health and protection of your family. And again, a variant of Mary. So most of the stuff that you incorporate with Marian devotion and what you call out to Mary for, you can also do with Our Lady of Guadalupe. And as far as folk rituals, one would think that there would be so many because Latin America is usually the best source for folk Catholicism and folk Catholic rituals. And surprisingly, there aren't that many. I am quite sure I'm going to get messages with people telling me how their particular family or region celebrates her. But by and large, there really aren't anything super special. Like, there's no St. Joseph's table. There's no picking certain herbs on the feast day, and you're going to get certain powers like St. John the Baptist. And this is likely because she's prayed to for so much. It's almost as if any ritual or custom she's going to be invoked beforehand. Just like there aren't many folk rituals for Jesus or God, and even Mary to an extent. There's not many for Mary because she is that high of a figure. And anything about her is just going to be spiritual. Now, I will say she is commonly invoked in various folk rituals. So everything, Olympias, Olympias or cleansing, often have a prayer to Mary, and it's usually in the form of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Whether that is inherent, whether that is calling her La Virgin, or saying Our Lady of Guadalupe in the prayer, or sometimes Olympias can be done with an Our Lady of Guadalupe Novena candle. 
In J. Allen Cross's American Brujeria, he also gives a really cool contemplative rosary, where instead of going through the mysteries, the Marian mysteries, he goes through the various stages of Juan Diego and, and the, all the apparitions. I think that's a really beautiful, beautiful way to sit with Mary as well while praying the rosary. But the most common kind of folk ritual is taking a pilgrimage to Mexico City, to Tepeyac Hill, where the basilica is, and praying in front of the tilma. It is still there, it is very beautiful, and it's still quite mysterious. There are many scholars and scientists who say that we cannot really determine the year. We can't determine what it's really made from. And of course, there are some skeptical scientists who say other things that differ from that, but there's still debate. It's a wonderful, beautiful, miraculous thing. And many, 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 many healings take place at the shrine. So the biggest folk ritual, much like we discussed in the Padre Pio episode, is to go on a pilgrimage, if you can. And the most common, always, way to pray to a saint, to pray to Mary, to me, if you want to make a ritual out of it, is a novena. Now, I am recording and posting this on the week of her feast day. And the thing we often do leading up to a saint's feast day or a Marian feast day is a novena. And I have been doing free to the public posts on Patreon with novena prayers every day leading up to the feast day, which is December 12th. But as all novenas and prayers, you can do it anytime you need to call out to Guadalupe, to Mary. So they are free, go to the Patreon. As I am recording this, I'm on day four, but you can check them all out. At the end of the nine days, I also will be making a post with a downloadable PDF. So hop onto the Patreon, patreon.com slash Anthony's Tongue. It is free for everyone. I would never charge for a prayer. That just doesn't seem right. But these are all written by me and they've been really fun to do. And novenas, as I say often, are your go-to way to connect to a saint. And it seems too traditional for many people, but you are literally doing a candle ritual, calling upon the mother of God. That's heavy, that's intense, and that is beautiful. So what should go in your Guadalupe Novena? Roses, of course, would be one of the main things that I decorate my altar with and change you know, every day, every other day. Another thing I've talked about this on the Patreon, there is a ritual you do in October where certain churches do this, not all. It's actually many Dominican churches, but I know a lot of Carmelite do this as well because there's the rose tie-in with St. Therese of Lisieux. But getting ahead of myself, in October, on the feast day of Our Lady of the Rosary, which is the first week in October, a lot of churches will do blessed rose petals. And you can go to Mass that day, and they will bless rose petals, and they will give them to everyone that is there. Now, on Patreon, I do have the prayer posted in which you could bless rose petals yourself, because it's simply calling upon God to do it, so you can always do that. So check that out, or if you want to take rose petals to your priest, I'm sure he will pray over them and bless them if you let him know you're using this for a Guadalupe Novena. But I'm bringing that up because October... It's not too far away from December, so if you can get your hands on blessed rose petals, I think that makes a really cool altar decoration. If you are someone who wants to 
anoint or dress a candle with blessed rose petals. I think that would be amazing. And similarly, any oils, go for it. So also in the Novena, aside from the roses, and by the way, the Carmelites would do it as well because they do a similar ritual for St. Therese of Lisieux. It was called the Little Flower, so they also do that. But apart from the roses, I would have some kind of veneration to St. Juan Diego. And that can be a prayer card, that can be a printed image. And of course, it goes without saying, you're going to need a Guadalupe Novena or a white Novena candle and a Guadalupe statue or prayer card. And other things, you know, there's so much content out there surrounding the story of Juan Diego. It can be a book, it can be an audiobook, it can be a podcast. But during the Novena session, spend some time reflecting on that. Spend some time, like as I was discussing how J. Allen Cross does this contemplative Guadalupe rosary, do that. Meditate upon all these stages of the apparition. What is that saying to you? And we've talked about a lot here and we're going to talk about more, but things like, you know, I am, I've been told to go find this rose, but I don't have faith or hope that it exists. What is that telling me? And in that moment, I see something. I see that my doubt and my faith is so, so poor. So I will pray to Guadalupe in that moment to help. So really reflect on the story, do exegesis of the story, do Lexio Divina of the story, and pull that out and see what you can learn from it. In that moment, novenas never fail. Novenas never fail, novenas never fail. You might not get what you're asking for, but you're gonna get something if you use it and do it as a meditation. You're going to get some kind of gift, some kind of grace, some kind of thought that's going to lift you up, if not temporally, but spiritually. So by and large, incorporating her into your spirituality is so simple, and sometimes that simplicity can be overwhelming because it can be a simple prayer in the morning, it can be a simple novena, it can be just calling out whenever you need to. But just develop that relationship and see what you can learn. Like I just said, there's no such thing as a failed novena. There's no such thing as a failed prayer because you're gonna learn something if you use it as a contemplative meditative exercise. So what can we learn from the story? There's a lot and we've covered a lot. I do think there's so much that is overlooked, especially in today when we have such a, a torn us versus them broken mentality when it comes to spirituality. I think it's often overlooked that Guadalupe appeared as a mixed woman as someone here for the old and the new, even if you despise the new because of what they did, it was still a unification of sorts. And to meditate upon that, what feelings did you just feel? Did you feel hatred for the colonizers? Did you feel guilt because you were one of them? How can Guadalupe heal those wounds? How can she heal you from the, the wound of hatred wound of anger, and the wound of guilt. And overall, how can we unify with those that are different from us? Similarly, as I've said time and time again, Juan Diego tried to flee. He tried to run, and I love that. I love that so much because that is so spot on. I'm going to try to hide from God. Adam 
and Eve hid from God in the garden. Not because God was evil, but because they now had a distorted view of the divine. They saw the divine as scary and wrathful, rather than loving and merciful. Juan Diego was scared to confront Mary, because he was overwhelmed. We too are sometimes overwhelmed. We don't feel as if we have time to pray or to do something that we feel like we should do. But, you can't escape the love of a mother. And not only will she find you, but if you seek her first, she will give you roses beyond your contemplation and mind can fathom. Similarly, as we've discussed, Juan Diego felt worthless and unworthy. And how often do we? And yet, Mary chose him. And that is something you see time and time and time and time again in Mary and apparitions. She appeared to Bernadette, a poor peasant French woman, or girl, rather. She appeared to the children of Fatima, peasant children. Over and over we see it. Over and over we see it. The people that feel as if they aren't worthy are the ones that are chosen. So you are worthy. And of course, the line that echoes, am I not here? I who am your mother. Something to repeat over and over and over again. I did a devotional this time last year. Something that you would call hesychasm or centering prayer, if you wish. Where I just repeat it, and it's still live. On the Patreon, I do some, some explanation of it, but it's, it's right there on the podcast for everyone. And in it, we just take a rosary and we repeat, Am I not here? I who am your mother. Am I not here? I who am your mother. Over and over and over again. On certain beads, we might make certain petitions or offerings. But it's just repeating that line of comfort until we feel that comfort in the ground of our souls. That line is so beautiful because we often forget that she is here. We often forget how she has been here. And lastly, I think what's beautiful, and I think it's something I've been trying to verbalize this whole episode, is how subversive she is. The Europeans, the Spaniards loved it because it was the Virgin Mary. The natives loved it because it was potentially their mother goddess. They both loved it. They both found peace. They both found comfort. And I think, as she said when she came, I am here for you all. And I think that even goes past religion. I think that even goes past our spiritual labels. Am I not here? I who am your mother. So to recap, Guadalupe, La Varjín, is an incredible apparition, an incredible face of the Virgin Mary. Whether you look to her as a pure Marian devotion, whether you look at her as a face of Mary, a face of the Divine Mother that helps you reconnect with heritage, no matter how you look at her, there is something that goes past the labels with her, and that is the Divine Love, which has no face, which has no label, which has no name. Incorporating her in your spirituality is quite simple. Quite simple that many people will find it unfulfilling. They want something more magical. 
You can incorporate her into any ritual you want, just by calling out. By praying a rosary, meditating upon her story. Invoking her name when you're doing a healing, a prayer, or a, a cleansing limpia. So many ways that are simple. Because all you have to do is call. And much like Juan Diego, he cannot escape her. And neither can we. Neither can we. So, I hope I have done this episode justice because I know so many people hold Guadalupe dear and near to their hearts. So, I hope I have done her justice. Let's end with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Holy Mother, you could have appeared to Juan Diego as anything. You also could have appeared to anyone, but you chose the most humble. You chose a man that will be willing to unite the new and the old. You spoke to him in his own language. You came to him with skin like his. And today in this world, unfortunately, we live in a space where people want to say that God is a wrathful and fearful father. So we need a mother. You said that you are here to anyone who cries out. We want someone like us that we can run to. Someone like us that we can hide in your veil like a child. Oh mother, we miss how easy it was being a child, we miss how simple it was being a child. And much like Juan Diego, who was full of anxiety and pressure and burden in his life, we too are filled with the same anxieties. We miss being a child. So remind us Remind us that we can run to you. We can hide in your veil. Remind us that we are children again and we can be children again in your arms. Remind us that you are here. You, who are our mother, Our Lady of Guadalupe, Mystic Rose, Mother of God, pray for us. Thank you for listening to another episode of St. Anthony's Tongue. I have been your host, W. I hope you've enjoyed listening, and remember, even if you feel doubt, trek up the hill and seek out the rose. God bless you.